eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter. Scott Eklund, Washington takes on Arizona at 5 p.m. tonight at Husky Stadium for those out of town. Just looking out the window this morning, it's really nice. It's uh, sunshine, supposed to be in the high 40s, so a little bit different than the weather we had last week where the wind, the rain, the cold, so it'll probably cool down into the low 40s, but it'll be a really nice day for football. And I don't know if you guys got a chance to listen to the podcast I did with Jason Shear. He said that uh, he runs Wildcat Authority. The heat wave has not left Arizona yet, and it was 92 degrees when I spoke with him. He said that people in Arizona were actually looking forward to getting out of the heat and getting into the cold while I was kind of jonesing for 92 degree weather, but uh, big game today, uh, tonight. And for those who are just tuning in, Clemson, Florida State canceled. Um, evidently, uh, Clemson had a positive COVID test and from Brent McMurphy reporting, Clemson was informed about 8 a.m. As players at the team hotel were coming down for breakfast, that Florida State was not comfortable playing the game because of COVID concerns with Clemson. Clemson had one player test positive on Friday. Hell, we don't even know there's going to be a game until the game starts, it sounds like, guys. I was going to say, it's uh, you know, I think people should get comfortable with the idea that the Apple Cup is really in jeopardy at this point. I know that uh, clearly Washington's looking at other people uh, in case Washington State can't play. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is one of those things. I mean, it's, it's no guarantee that, that the game tonight's even going to get, get to be played, but it's obviously a very positive sign that is able to come all the way up from Tucson. You know, hopefully they're doing all the right things in the hotel and, and can make it happen. Washington State's game uh, against Stanford was, um, canceled <laughs> yesterday sounds like they had a lot of guys and, and scott i don't know if you read too much into it but um was it so much the positive tests or was it the contact tracing i think it was the contact tracing because um nick rolovich said that they ran a practice as they normally would on thursday and and um and my uh, what they've had a few positive tests but i think a lot of it has to do with the contact tracing and and where that goes and and they fell below the apparently they fell below the 53 man eligible roster um limit or floor so um that's why they weren't going to be able to play this weekend i'm still hopeful that they'll be able to play next weekend but uh like chris said you know it's it's definitely in danger of of uh, not being played and 
I would hope that Washington and Washington State could figure out a way to play um, play a makeup game if if that is the case. But uh, yeah, that's what it's looking like right now. And Chris, it came out earlier this week that when the Cal game got canceled, Army had contacted Washington to see if that was possibly a game that they could get together, but the logistics just couldn't happen happen fast enough. And if, for example, Washington State determines that with the contact tracing and the quarantine protocols, if they cannot get this game in, if Washington State's able to inform Washington early enough, it's possible that a game could be scheduled instead of the Apple Cup, which is supposedly played on Friday, but they could play a game on Saturday and even possibly Sunday morning like the UCLA-Cal uh, game. Yeah, obviously you want to play the Apple Cup, but if push comes to shove and they can't play, if you can play an Army in Seattle or something like that, I mean, the more the better. You get another home game, you get another game. Um, I know there's a lot of fans that are on the boards talking about how they wouldn't want to play Army because of their style, but it's like, really? You're, you're going to give up a game? There's two teams they want to play. Let's strap it up and go. It, it I mean, just needs to happen. It just yeah, needs to happen. They, Jimmy they Lake, need to get these young guys' experience. Jimmy Lake was talking this week because we asked him, I said, now that you've kind of been through the experience of the Cal situation, you know, what time of the week would you need to know before realistically being able to go towards a plan B, so to speak? And he said, you know, Monday or Tuesday would be ideal. Wednesday would be pushing it. He goes, but it has nothing to do with the game plan. It has nothing to do with practice. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the logistics of getting the the trucks there, the equipment trucks there, you know, doing the the food and the hotels for 100, 150 people. Um, you know, these are all things that, that go on behind the scenes that we probably don't talk about enough, but they are absolutely vital to making this to making this machine go. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen behind the scenes, but the but the actual football aspect of it, ironically enough, is probably the last thing that they think about. You know, it looks like Washington, Arizona will go off as planned. Um, you never know, but, uh, you know, looking forward to this game, Washington won game last week where uh, it's just kind of hard to look at these scheduled guys and see college teams that have played seven and eight games and Washington has played one, just one. So um, well, I, think the, I think the problem is now in hindsight that the teams that were able to play those seven, eight games, they were able to do it. And, and you know, we all thought, well, they might be more in, in terms of putting themselves at risk. But what we didn't obviously factor, it was how close we are to getting into that winter flu season, cold season, everybody gets sick this time of year type thing. And then obviously the, 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 the coronavirus has just exacerbated all that stuff. So ironically enough, again, even though the testing re- regimes and, and all those things weren't necessarily in place to effectively test and trace and do all the things that you would hope were in place to do things to, to help, you know, keep these guys as safe and healthy as possible, as it's turned out, it's turned out that the earlier you did it, the better off you were. Scott, we've had a little bit of time to digest the Oregon State game. We've been able to, you know, rewatch the game multiple times, talk to the coaches, talk to some players. So just, you know, getting back to that Oregon State game, what are some of your things that stand out, some of your takeaways after week one? 
I thought the offensive line played about as well as they could play, um, especially, you know, they, they only threw the ball 24 times, so it wasn't like they were having to deal with a lot of extra things protection-wise, but it sounds like they, they were pretty sound in their pass pro, and uh, they kept Dylan Morris upright, and he was able to get out and do some things. I thought Dylan Morris played really well. And then defensively, I think the front seven had a relatively poor game. Um, you know, they had their moments where they made some plays, but missing Leatu Latu and Tuli Letu Ligasanoa, that hurt. That hurt the Huskies. And the fact that Joe Tryon and Levi Anzarike up until, you know, August, we all thought that they were going to be part of the team and they decided not to be part of the team. So, um, you know, Washington was relying on Tooley and Sam Taimani and Josiah Bronson and either Jacob Bandis or um, Fa'atui Tuatelli and to to be there for in that rotation. And I just I think losing their probably their top guy in Tooley um, hurt them. And then at linebacker, you know, Jackson Sermon was a bit of a liability. You know, it wasn't completely his fault because I don't think the defensive line really helped him out. But um, when when Alfonso Tupatala came in, it was definitely a different kind of defense, and they were able to get some stops where they weren't able to do that with Jackson Sermon in there. couple takeaways from last week's game now. We've been removed from it for a few days, Chris. Well, yeah, just kind of adding to the defensive part of it. Yeah, the front seven, it was tough because they're so interconnected that, you know, I don't care. You could be Bobby Wagner back there as a linebacker. But if a lineman is getting a free run at you at the second level, you're going to have a really long night. And in, in some of the instances, that's what um, Edifuano Lafoscio and Jackson Sermon came across. Other times, especially Sermon, just made the wrong choice. And, and I don't know if it was his eyes, his keys, whatever it was, but it looked like he was doing too much. And that's why you heard Lafoscio talk this week about just doing your job, sticking to the keys, staying simple, and they just they just have to be able to space themselves out so they can squeeze the run lanes. It's just um, it, it, sometimes it just looked like uh, the Oregon State offensive line was able to kind of group some of the Washington defenders together and kind of wall them off, which created nice fits for for Jamar Jefferson. And and it's Jamar Jefferson doesn't need a second helping. He can go out and get it on his own anyway. But when he's getting free runs, um, that's a recipe for disaster. And I think Gary Brightwell. Uh, the Arizona guys is, is a guy that runs much in the, in, in, in the same fashion as a Jermar Jefferson. So I thought, um, those are things that I think will certainly get cleaned up. I think obviously the, the improvement from game one to game two is essential. I think that will happen. And then I know a lot of people are talking offensively how they want the receivers to get more involved. I'm sure they'll get more involved this time around. We're talking about an Arizona team that gave up you know, 325 yards against USC on the air, right. through the air. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, those things will happen. I mean, the, the game plan will change. Jimmy Lake talked about it after Oregon State that, you know, they still want to base everything off the ground game. But clearly, depending on what they see as the weaknesses that they can exploit with Arizona, they'll take advantage. I kind of equated what they did with Dylan Morris. And um, I just remember – um, my son, uh, we took the training wheels off his bike and he's going down the street and I'm holding on to the back, you know, just to make sure he doesn't crash the bike. And he just turned around and said, let go, dad. And I let him go and he was let go. 
I kind of get that same feeling with uh, Dylan Morris. I think that the training wheels were on most of the game. He didn't throw a lot downfield, but I expect the training wheels to be taken off a little bit more and them to just let him go. I still don't think it's going to be a pass-happy offense, but I think you'll see more downfield throws. And the thing that I really liked was just getting the ball to the backs out in space uh, with Cam Davis. I like the quarterback sneaks a lot. That's just seemed to have been a really effective play. Jake Browning was really good at that as well. Some of the offensive line, I think that they had some great moments. I thought that they had some moments where they can definitely clean up. MJ Alley seemed to uh, dominate at times and just at other times, especially when pulling, looking for somebody to hit. So I think there's a lot to clean up and looking forward to the game tonight, seeing how much that improvement is. But, uh, the thing I'm excited to see is um, how um, how those training wheels have come off with um, Dylan Morris because I really don't think that they need to throw it downfield against Arizona. Scott, have you looked into the Arizona uh, game that much? Because I'm just seeing a lot of problems on the Arizona side that uh, just their lack of depth can really come back to bite them this week. Yeah, well, I mean, they have they have two starting linebackers who are walk-ons now Washington one of Washington's starting linebackers is a walk-on and and one of their starting defensive linemen what was a walk-on both of those guys are on scholarship now I'm assuming that's probably the case with uh Arizona or eventually will be but um you know yeah they Arizona's defense has not been very good in in recent years they've they've been undisciplined they haven't um they haven't done really well with their positioning and spacing and all that different stuff and and making tackles and 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 being sound in their technique and but I did see a better more disciplined uh defense uh when they played USC last week yeah they did surrender 325 yards to USC but that's kind of, you know, uh, passing, but that is going to be what happens when you face an air raid team. And USC's probably, arguably, the most talented team in the conference right now. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're probably have improved, but, uh, Washington is going to have to take advantage of that secondary, which is average at best, probably more like below average. And I think if they can do some RPO, um, which granted, um, Dylan Morris didn't do a ton of because of the weather conditions. One thing that Jimmy Lake did say was that he was really proud of the way Dylan Morris handled the ball and, and made sure they had ball security during the bad weather conditions, at least at the start of that game. So, um, I think you might see a little bit more RPO this, this, uh, in this game tonight and, I, I really think that Washington, if they can play mistake free, if they can get the, get the running game going and then have the pass come off of that, I think we could see a pretty good night offensively for Washington. And, and Chris, I think where Washington can really take advantage because a lot of people want to see that passing game extended, but Arizona's defensive line, they're shorthanded and uh, Washington should be able to have a field day running the football this week. Well, I don't, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, clearly USC is a, is a air raid style attack, but they still run the ball very effectively, you know, and they ran it for almost 180 or 175. Um, if, if USC can get 175, there's no reason Washington, considering how they played against Oregon State, they could probably go for 275 if they, if that's how they decide they want to attack things. You know, and they got it. They got a transfer from North, uh, from New Mexico. They got a transfer from New Mexico State. 
it's it's interesting to see what would have happened if they didn't get some of these guys coming in because you're right they're they're really thin on the line but they're even thinner uh in the linebacking you know linebacker spots i mean they're they're starting uh walk-ons so you know that's a situation where you know i'm sure it didn't take a lot of scouting to figure out where they think they can attack and and those types of things i i did want to address real quick kim your your thought about kind of um you know, Dylan Morris getting off the training wheels and that kind of thing. And I, I, I see this, I see the logic in that. Um, if you go back, if, if we're trying to compare, you know, maybe Morris's trajectory this year compared to how Jake Browning's trajectory was in 2015, um, you know, second conference game of the 2015 season was at USC and Jake Browning was able to manage that game really well. And, um, they were able to pull out a really, really good win on the road. So, We'll see what happens in the second conference game for, for a guy like Dylan Morris. I'm wondering if it's not so much down the throat, downfield, if it's more allowing him to get loose a little bit more with his feet and maybe allowing him to scramble a little bit more and those kinds of things. Cause we saw in that one run at the end of the game and Jimmy Lake made a point of it, how important that was. I'm wondering if that doesn't signal that maybe we'll see a little bit more of that as we go on. What, what, one other thing I wanted to mention, and I forgot to do this earlier, was um, one thing that the announcers talked about in their game against USC last week was that Arizona was missing their top three, what would have been their top three returning tacklers from last season. Uh, Colin Schooler transferred to Texas Tech. Tony Fields and Scotty Young both went to Virginia or West Virginia. And then their top defensive end, J.B. Brown, opted out. So that was four of their top defensive guys from last season that were projected to be leaders of the team this season are not playing. And that's one reason why they're so thin on the defensive side. And when we talk about the training wheels, you know, still being on last week and being maybe a little bit further off, keep in mind, you got your kid running down on the bike and uh, you're holding on to the back. But uh, it's a little bit different when it's... uh, Low 40s, cold, windy, and rain. Today's a sunshine, so you feel a little bit more comfortable out there with Dylan Morris throwing the ball. Because like I said, the weather had an impact on the game last week. It definitely did. So I think it was a good week to have those training wheels still on a little bit. But I think you can afford to open it up a little bit more. Because like I said, you couldn't really tell on TV. But there was definitely some wind, and the rain was coming down sideways at times. It was pretty heavy at times. And when um, I think you got a good idea, and I talked about this earlier, when Ryan Bowman went in for the pump block and he dove for the ball, and he had a rooster tail coming out the back. He sure slid a ways. And, I, you know, today looking outside, it's just it's a gorgeous day, so expect the weather to be quite a bit better. But when you get over to the other side of the ball and you start talking about attacking Arizona, um, Washington's defense against Arizona, they've got some weapons. They've got a really good quarterback in Grant Gannell. They've got one of the elite running backs in the conference, and they've got big wide receivers. All of their wide receivers are really big guys. Yeah, and not all of them are, are you know, huge, like 6'4 guys, but most of them are in the 6-foot range to 6'2, and then they have a few guys who are real scat, scatter guy, you know, smaller guys that that can really get in space and, and be trouble for defensive backs. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, they, they present you with some problems. And one of the points that Jimmy Lake made was he said, all right, so we struggled a little bit against the run last week with a team that was really kind of packed in. And Arizona likes to run the ball a lot with the same kind of a running back, Gary Brightwell, that Jamar Jefferson is. 
but they like to spread you out with their wide receivers because they've got so many good ones. And so you're playing in a box that's going to have a lot less numbers instead of eight guys in the box. Now you're talking about six, maybe seven. Um, and that's, that can present a problem. So they're going to have to be real sound in the secondary, making sure that they're able to cover guys, um, correctly and all that. But they also have to, the, the linebackers are going to be key this week and, I, I expect to see Jackson Sermon probably make the start, but um, I think he might have a quick, a quick uh, hook if if things aren't going well, and they might put Alfonso Tupatala in there, and maybe even one of the younger guys if they think he can get it done. So um, just keep an eye on that. What the linebackers look like this year or this, this week? And Chris Arizona's quarterback is night and day from the uh, Christian Gabia, but Tristan Gabia, but um, Grant Gunnell, six six, two twenty, athletic kid. He's not just a uh, stiff guy back there. He can get out and run the ball a little bit as well. I think he's going to cause a few more problems than we saw last week against Oregon State. Yeah, I thought you were going to mention Khalil Tate because he's he's night and day different from Khalil Tate. And even uh, Jay Shachir talked about how they're a better offense right now with with um, with Grant Cannell running it as opposed to Khalil Tate. And yeah, six six. He's listed at two twenty eight. Um, not as stiff by any means, can run around a little bit. I'll be curious to see if Pete Kwiatkowski and Akaika Malloy and those guys, if they might try to spy on him at times, whether that means, you know, having Elijah Molden, you know, drop back into a safety coverage and have a guy like an Alex Cook, who clearly would be more physical at the line of scrimmage or a bigger guy like a Dominique Campton or someone like that, or one of those younger linebackers that you mentioned, Scott. Um, see if maybe they can uh, spy Gunnell and maybe cause some problems for him and get him to throw the ball away or um, force him into making a bad decision. Because um, he is still just a true sophomore, um, played a little bit obviously uh, last year and, and, and spelled uh, Tate a little bit. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely the future of Arizona football. Um, he looks a real bright prospect for sure, can definitely make plays. And he's got a bunch of guys that he can get the ball to, whether it's Brightwell in the backfield, um, or guys like, you know, Jamari Joyner, Tavian Cunningham had a big game against USC, uh, new kid, Booby Curry, Stanley Berryhill, who's been there a long time. Brian Castile, I think is coming back into the lineup. So they've got a bunch of guys that they can throw the ball to for sure. So he's got targets. Um, you know, this is again, like you said, Kim, this is not going to be like, uh, you know, Tristan Jebbia throwing for 85 yards i mean if they can if they can hold gannell to you know maybe you know 175 200 yards throwing the ball i think that would be a pretty good night and scott a lot of it's going to come down to as well as it always comes down to getting pressure on the quarterback um zion tupatola uh fatui last week had a big game coming off the edge washington of course joe tryon opting out Laiatu Latu did not suit up last week. Will he suit up this way? But I'm sure that Arizona, after watching the game on Saturday, is going to keep an eye on number 58 off coming off the edge. And if they're going to try to take that away, what are the other options coming off the edge to get pressure on the quarterback, Scott? Well, I, you know, even though he's put on quite a bit of weight, Ryan Bowman's a guy that I think will, will get some, uh, rushes there off of the edge. Braylon Trice was the guy the coaches really talked about, said he had a really good, um, really good off season and, and has had a good camp. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him get in there and get some rotation. Um, 
you know, um, just trying to think. Uh, Cooper McDonald is a guy. Um, they said every time they put him in, he's a freshman from Texas. Every time they put him in, the moment has not seemed too big for him. He expected to make plays, and he did make plays all through camp. He did play last weekend. Um, I, he was more of a middle linebacker, but uh, he can play outside. Don't be surprised if you see him get some rushes. And then I think you might see um, them send some blitzes. I, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised to see Asa Turner, Cam Williams, Alex Cook, uh, Brian, uh, Brandon McKinney, if he gets in there. Some of those guys being sent as blitz guys. Um, and, or maybe even a guy like, um, Elijah Molden off the edge, you know, on a, when he's lined up over the slot, that's, that's the guy who can really hurt you if he knows what he's doing. So, um, keep an eye on that. I think that, I think Washington's going to come up with different ways to confuse Arizona and, and get after them in the, in the passing game. They got to get Grant Gannell off his spot, but if they get him off his spot, somebody better be there to make a tackle because he will absolutely hurt you with his legs. He's got, he's a really good runner for a guy that's, you know, 6'6 and 220, 230 pounds. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's going to be interesting. I'll be at the game early and we'll see if we can spot, uh, Leatu Latu, see if we can find him on the sidelines. But it just seems, I don't know if you get the feeling, Chris, I think sometimes they watch the, uh, the Washington coaches watch the Seahawks game and they garner some ideas like that. And was Washington, excuse me, Seattle uses Bobby Wagner to blitz. Maybe you'll see some more of the inside linebackers, you know, uh, getting after the quarterback, specifically Eddie Ulafosio, who seems to do a really good job of that. Well, I think, yeah, they could do that. And that's another way they can try to maybe keep Grant Gannell in the pocket, keep him kind of contained as long as the guys keep the edge and as long as, you know, the, the rushers are sticking to where they need to be. Because if they get washed out, now all of a sudden you've got some big lanes and your linebackers are upfield. And now all of a sudden you've given yourself a situation where you could be in big trouble. Uh, cause Grant Cannell will, he, he will gash you if, uh, if, if the opportunity presents itself. You Miles can't get Bryant. Too crazy with that. Yeah. I mean, in the last couple of years, Miles Bryant did such a great job coming off the edge from that slot. Um, and that's what will be interesting to keep an eye on too is Elijah Molden, that guy who's going to be able to do that. But, the guy who might be able to get there real quick is this uber athletic, the freak show that I call him, uh, Kyler Gordon. Uh, either one of you see Kyler coming off the edge in that uh, slot position and getting after the quarterback? I could definitely see it, but I mean, he hasn't really, he didn't really do that in high school. So, but I mean, he was a physical safety for the, for, uh, Archbishop Murphy and, and he's a freak athlete. And, um, it, it, a lot of it depends on instincts. I mean, you can, you can have the freakiest athlete rushing the quarterback and you think, oh man, he's got all that speed and length and athleticism and all that stuff. If he doesn't have the instincts of a pass rusher, it's not going to get done. Some guys just have it. Some guys don't. Some guy, some guys maybe have an inkling of it and the coaches can teach him a little bit of it. But yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of a feel athleticism kind of, or a feel instinct kind of thing. I was going to add too that, um, you know, I don't remember watching the USC, the USC Arizona game, how much USC blitzed, for instance, but Arizona did give up four sacks. So, and I don't know if that's just Gannell holding the ball too long and trying to make something happen. Or maybe he was escaping the pocket too early and just made the wrong choice that way. Like I said, I, I didn't really make a note of that, but I did make a note of the four sacks. So whether it's with their base personnel or whether they have to use additional pressure, we'll find out. But 
you know, Arizona's offensive line looks like it can be, it can be had if given the right situation. We're going to take a quick break for the sponsors, and when we return, we'll continue with breaking down the Washington-Arizona game. And one thing I want to make sure and touch bases on is uh, a guy that they may have found something in, and Trent McDuffie returning punts. That and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. I'm Kim Reynolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Washington kicks off 5 o'clock this afternoon, late afternoon in the dark at Husky Stadium. Again, weather expected to be fantastic. Uh, real football weather. The leaves are coming off the tree. There'll be a little bit of nip in the air, but uh, should be a clear night at Husky Stadium. But Scott and Chris, when I talked to Jason Shear, he said that USC just pretty much had their way running to the left side of the um uh, left side of the uh, offensive line, and when you take a look at Washington's left side, they've got uh, MJ Allay at 350 pounds and Jackson Kirkland at 300 pounds over there, an all-conference candidate, but uh, expecting to see the ball run a, a lot to the left tonight. Well, if you look at if you look at Washington's successful runs, especially with Sean McGrew early, where did they go? They went to Jackson Kirkland and MJ Allay's side, and uh, that's where he got the 21-yard touchdown. I think that's where he got the 27-yard gain early, you know, first quarter. Um, that's where they were able to gash them early. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and, and again, with as thin as they are on the defensive line over there, I think that Washington can really make some hay over there. But when we talk about rushing the ball, too, and I want to get back over to the Arizona offense, Chris, they've got a really good running back. Is he better than Jamar Jefferson? And is it Gary Brightwell? It is Gary Brightwell. I don't know if he's as good as Jamar Jefferson, but he certainly offers them their main threat in terms of carrying the ball. I mean, and he's a, he's a good-sized kid, too. I mean, he's, what is he, about 6'1", about 220, 218, 220, something like that. Um, you know, and he, and he showed burst. I mean, he was one of those guys that you might stuff him for two or three yards a couple times, but then if he gets a gap, he's going to you know be one of those one-cut go um, power slashers. Um, you know, they did use Michael Wiley a little bit, um, but that's, it, it was pretty much all the Gary Brightwell show, I guess, USC. And I think he ended up with almost what was about 120 yards, something like that. So, I mean, anytime you can put those kind of numbers on, um, on, uh, USC, you've done a nice job. I think he averaged about five and almost five and a half yards of carry, uh, 34 yard, uh, gain. So again, 21 carries, I guess he got 112 yards. Um, he is going to be, it looks like one of those guys that's going to, you might hold him, you might hold him, and then all of a sudden he might bust. So you got to be real careful in limiting the big runs. Washington historically has done a pretty good job in limiting the big plays, especially in the run game. But he, he is a guy that, uh, that could, he could gash you if you, if you're not paying attention, if you get washed out of a play, if you pick the wrong fit. Yeah, he can, he can do damage. Hey, Scott, this might be a little bit random, but uh, with the game Sean McGrew had last week, and then you talk about last year with Arizona with J.J. Taylor. J.J. Taylor now is on the roster with the New England Patriots, but 
Back when Sean McGrew was being recruited, it was him and J.J. Taylor. J.J. Taylor is even smaller than Sean McGrew, but I know that some on the Washington coaching staff like J.J. Taylor a lot better than Sean McGrew, but they elected to uh, get Sean McGrew in the boat. What do you remember about that situation? I, I honestly don't remember Washington's having that much interest in J.J. Taylor. They didn't offer him, and they didn't show him much interest. So, um, but McGrew that, that, kind of committed pretty early. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, he he committed uh in the summer before his senior season and yeah. and then um he had some some academic stuff he had to take care of and do and and all that kind of stuff and there was some concern he might not make it in but he did eventually make it in anyway. Whatever it was, he got it done, but I don't I I honestly and maybe I should remember this because I'm the recruiting guy, but I don't I don't remember Washington showing JJ Taylor much interest other than the tertiary, maybe giving him some, sending him some mail and, and maybe reviewing his film. But Sean McGrew is the guy that they really honed in on early and, and, uh, pushed for. McGrew's got, McGrew's not 5'8 and he's not 5'9. Was he about 5'6? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And JJ Taylor is probably 5'4, five, 5'5. Five, five. Yeah, maybe 5'5. Five, five. Huh. They weren't that much different from a size standpoint. Yeah. But, uh, do you remember how big Jacquez Rogers was? Yeah, he was small. He was about five seven, and no, maybe... no, he, there's no way he was five seven. Okay, well, I was never next to him, so and you would know what five seven looks like, Kim. So <laughs> I, I, know, know. I know, guys, I know what that. I I watched that double OT game back in what was it, 2010, 2011. Yeah, and so we had to be, you know, because the way we do it, we have to be down on the field post game so that when they go, we've got to be ready to go. Well, obviously, because that went into double overtime we were on the field really early like, you know, five minutes left in the game. So we got a chance. I got a chance to see him score. I think a touchdown uh, on the West end in the first overtime, if I remember right. And he went right past me and I'm like, yeah, he, if he's five, four, I'm six feet. Yeah. I mean, he was tiny. The, the difference built. The difference was he had tree trunks for legs. Yeah. He's built, but he, he was like a Keem Anthony for those guys that remember Recruited way back in the day, the kid from Lakes, um, who was in, was he in Reggie Williams's class? No, he was after that. He was after, but right after. But, uh, yeah, he, Keem Anthony was 5'3", and he actually listed at 5'3". Yeah, I'd say Jaquiz Rogers was right in that category, 5'3", 5'4". He usually just hide behind guys, but like I said, he had tree trunks for legs, and, uh, Sean McGrew, you know, 5'6", 5'7", um, he's not built like that, and actually he's lost some weight, supposedly he's lost 10 to 12 pounds and gotten his speed back, and I thought he looked really, really good, so it'll be interesting to see that running back rotate. Well, credit, and credit to him too, Kim, because he is a guy that can also do that in terms of hiding behind the bigger offensive line and then go, Yeah. and, and, and for people that weren't able to to check out what we were doing during the week or listen to Jimmy Lake's thoughts. Jimmy Lake admitted that near the end of that game, when they were trying to salt away the game and they were near the goal line, they should have probably used Sean McGrew. And they went back and looked at the tape and they go, you know what? We didn't pick the right guy who had the hot hand. It should have been Sean McGrew. So, you know, don't be surprised if McGrew is a guy that they're going to try to use maybe a little bit more in the fourth quarter or the second half than they used before because clearly, you know, he averaged, what, 10 yards a pop against Oregon State? He's capable of some nice runs. 
Yeah, I mean, Miles Gaskin used to hide behind Trey Adams every game. It was hard to find him behind there, but Kim, I could hide behind Trey Adams. So. <laughs> um, but uh, t- tell me about how you felt about the running back rotation. What are you expecting to see different? Kamari Pleasant obviously started last week, but as I always say, starting doesn't mean much. I thought Kamari got a few more carries than I anticipated. But what do you expect to see in the running back rotation tonight, Scott? Um, I think I'm hoping we'll see a little bit more of Cam Davis, not because I think he's better than everybody, but I really want to get an idea of what he brings to the table. I've seen some really good runs by him, but they always get called back for whatever reason. And then, uh, he did catch, make a couple of nice catches and, and was kind of a threat in the passing game. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more of him. Honestly, I was a little surprised by Richard Newton. Maybe he's lost a little bit of confidence, whatever it was. He was not hitting the hole as hard as some of those other guys were. So Sean McGrew, if he's the hot hand, you go with it. Uh, Kamari Pleasant was a nice, um, you know, uh, short yardage guy. He, what did he end up with, like 62 yards or whatever it was rushing, and, and he got a touchdown. And congratulations to him because I think a lot of people, when the starting lineup came out, they were like, what the hell is going on? Why is this guy? He's terrible, blah, 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 all this different stuff. They think back to the – they think back to the um, Oregon game where he was in the Wildcat and probably shouldn't have been back there and just all those different things. And I I, I just think that um, the rotation that they, they kind of figure out, if Sean McGrew, at least at this point, is the guy getting the most carries, you're probably in a good in good shape. And then uh, Kamari Pleasant, Cam Davis, and Richard Newton splitting the other, you know, 45% of the carries, you know, I – I think I think this is going to be a real test of Keith Bonifa and John Donovan to figure out the right rotation of backs and and make sure they go with the right guy late in the game that they maybe may not have planned on that guy being the right guy but he ends up being the right guy so um, I I think we'll see probably somewhere in the realm of about um, you know maybe not 51 runs maybe like 40 40 carries. And I think you could see Sean McGrew get 20 of those, and I think the other three guys will end up splitting the other ones. And, Chris, I think Washington uh, coaching staff got a little spoiled with Miles Gaskin back there because Miles can not only run the ball, but he was really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. He's probably the best running back blocker we'd seen in a while. He was great in pass protection where you take a look at this roster right now, and I think they like Kamari Pleasant in there with uh, his ability to, um, you know, for pass protection and seemed like they really liked Cam Davis out of the backfield last week as well. Do they have a back on the roster that can do all three? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Pleasant fits that bill. I'd like to see him run a little skinnier, maybe a little with a little bit more lean when he's going between the tackles. Cause you know, a guy like McGrew is always kind of going forward. A guy like Newton is always going forward, but if I had given you odds that the only guy, only guy out of those four to lose yardage against Oregon State was Richard Newton, what would my odds have been? Cause that's, that's what happened. Richard Newton was the only guy that lost yardage against Oregon State. So, um, you know, I just, I'd like to see, Ple- see, I think Pleasant is their most all around back. I think he's always been kind of their most all around back in terms of catching passes. He can do pass pro. He's 221 now, I think by his own, uh, count this week. Um, just like to see him play behind his pads a little bit more. I'd like to see a little bit more physicality, but I think we've always wanted that. Um, and that just, and that just may be something that, that will come over time when he gets more confidence and he gets more touches. Um, because you're right. Cause like Scott said, you know, I think a lot of people wanted to bury him after last year and for him to come back and do, uh, as well as he did against Oregon State, I think is a testament to his, uh, to his work and his ethic and just kind of sticking to the process. 
Um, but I think between all four of those guys, they've got a, a real stable of, of guys that have some versatile skill sets that can do different things. You've got the, the, you know, the bigger backs in Newton and Pleasant. Davis seems to be more of the all around guy, but McGrew seems to be the hot hand right now. I think Keith Bonifaz got, um, some real choices to make, the, not just in terms of game planning the number of reps for each of those guys, but then also, you know, managing those numbers during the game and running with that hot hand because Jimmy Lake said it himself. We talked about it. He thinks that Sean McGrew, if he had been in the game in the fourth quarter, might have been a little different story. Maybe they get a touchdown on that last drive instead of a field goal. Scott, everybody going into the season was wondering what this offense was going to look like. We had a pretty good idea it was going to be a pro-style offense. And I think the thing that really stood out to me was a play that we hadn't seen much of since uh, Jadon Mickens was in the fold, and that's that fly sweep. Talk to me a little bit about the fly sweep, how that can be used, and anything about this offense. We've only had one game. You know, anything jump out at you? Um. Well, I mean, I think the thing that jumped out at me was how tightly Washington kept it packed in. I thought they might spread it out just a little bit more, and I think you will see that a little bit more tonight. As far as the fly sweep, you know, that can be – if it's used in the right moments and called at the right time and after you've set it up a little bit, you it, you can really do some serious damage with that uh, with that play. But um, as we saw on that last drive, they ran it two su- – I mean – Oregon was Oregon State was all over the fly sweep to Romo Dunsey and went for what about three four, three or four yard loss and um, and it was just, and I mean it was open on the edge but uh, the the play from the middle linebackers um, number thirty eight I'm drawing a blank on his name Chris um, for Oregon State was it Omar Spates yeah Omar Spates Omar yeah Roberts? Or well, whoever it was, <laughs> he he read it and just destroyed Romo Dunsey on that play. And and you have to run it at the right time. But if you can run it against man, where your wide receiver is starting to come in motion and you hand it off, and the other guys are running with the wide receivers, you have no one on the edge. And the linebackers are are keying on what the guards are doing, and the guards are usually trying to making it look like it's a middle run for the for the tailback. So. You know, it, it can really do some damage. I mean, who was the team that Oregon State was a team, if, if I remember correctly, not to Jacquez Rogers, but the other Rogers brother. Um, they, he was the one. He was the one who kind of they they were the ones who kind of brought that to the Pac-12, if I remember correctly. And I remember one game against the Huskies. Didn't they run that like fifteen or twenty times that they ran that play? Yeah. And they they would get like seven to fifteen yards every time they did it. And you can really hurt teams if they're not ready for it. Chris, just uh, your thoughts on what you saw from the offense last week. Anything unexpected? Anything jump out at you? I think it was all kind of unexpected just because we had never seen it before. Um, we had gotten hints of, of kind of what we thought it, it might look like a little bit. And, again, given um, John Donovan's, you know, his recent history – Jimmy Lake wanting to get an NFL guy. Um, you could see some of the pro style stuff. You could see some of the, the, the downhill running that they wanted to do. We just weren't exactly sure how they were going to get that done because you can be a huge college football downhill running team out of the I formation or out of the pistol or, you know, shotgun. You can do RPO. You, there's a ton of different ways you can be a power running attack. 
Um, you know, we saw it with Chip Kelly when he was at Oregon. We've seen it with Rich Rod when he was at West Virginia and Arizona. Um, and then we've seen it obviously in the more traditional old school sets that we saw uh, last Saturday night. So uh, it was very unexpected because we weren't sure exactly how it was going to get done. I think um, it was fun to see that offensive line um, come together as a group for the first time, especially because the seniors were the ones that were having to play different positions. And not only not only were they having to, to learn their own assignments and do their thing and be responsible for that, but they were all supposed, also supposed to lead the other guys like MJ Ale and Henry Bainavalu, Victor Kern. And, and I thought that they came together really nice in that first game. And I do think that they're going to improve a lot from game one to game two because I guarantee you Scott Huff has a ton of game film that he can go back and he can clean up all sorts of stuff out of there. Even though they went for, what, 267, they they probably could have gotten a lot more. There was probably a lot more meat left on that bone. So um, I think in that sense, it's kind of a coach's wet dream, right? They're successful. They had 37 minutes worth of possession. Um, you know, their their first-time quarterback makes no mistakes. And yet at the same time, think about all the things now that they can do because they didn't put it on tape because it looked pretty vanilla to me. So we'll see what they unveil um, at 5 o'clock tonight because I think it's going to be interesting to see if it's more of a 50-50 balance with the pass. Are they going to go still 75-25 run? Where are they spying Arizona's weakness? I mean, could it be along that defensive line? Could it be the linebacking core because it's so thin? We'll see what happens. Scott, before we wrap this up, just uh, last final minute thoughts. Or, you know, I forgot. I want to talk a little bit about Trent McDuffie, you know, as a punt returner. How much of a weapon does Washington have back there in Trent McDuffie? Oh, I mean, he he looked great. Um, I I always thought that he could be a pretty good punt returner. I thought he had the quickness and the and the instincts to be a good punt returner. But uh, man, he he handled himself well. He had a nice fifteen twenty yard uh, punt return that that uh, I actually thought had a chance to go. Um, is he going to break Dante Pettis's record? Eh, I think expecting that to happen is is asking quite a bit but yeah he's he he looks like he's got that you know honestly i'm gonna be honest with you uh dante pettis what was dante about six feet tall whatever it was most punt returners that are really successful are not six feet tall most of them are on the are smaller than that because they need to be a little bit more on the quick side rather than i mean they need to have good speed but they need that quickness and that because unlike kickoffs where you know, you have a little bit more time. You've got to make the first guy miss like in an instant when, um, when you're, when you're doing a, a punt return. Well, Dante Pettis broke that mold for me because you watch him. He's a long strider. He is a guy who didn't seem to have that, that, that lightning in a bottle, short yardage quickness that you, that you look for in like the elite, um, guys at that position. And man, I, I was just, impressed with how you know he did it got it done Trent McDuffie is not going to be the same kind of punt returner but he fits the mold of the guys who have always been successful with that so uh in that instance I I think Washington's got a a pretty special guy I think over the next you know year or two he's probably only going to be here one more year after this year so um I think over the next year or two you could see two three maybe even four punt returns for touchdowns if he gets enough opportunities 
And Chris, when I saw him return that punt and then watching around the plot fly sweeps, I'm going, Trent McDuffie on the fly sweep, please. Well, no, 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 no. You leave him on defense. <laughs> we saw him defending in space where he went cross field. And I mean, if he's not the fastest guy at Washington, I want to see who is. Because that, to me, that showed he was, the, he's the fastest guy at UW. That right play now. was unbelievable. Um, what I would add on, and, and I think Scott's absolutely right. He, he's not going to break Dante Pettis' record, but it's not because he's not talented enough to do it. He absolutely is. He's not going to be around here long enough. Yeah. I mean, he's only going to have another maybe 20 games, you know, or, or whatever, the tops to, to be able to do that. So, I mean, he would have to go on an unprecedented run to be able to even come close to breaking that record. But it'll be fun to find out what he can do. And there's no doubt. I mean, he, he shows a lot of burst and a lot of wiggle. Um, I'm still very curious to see what Kyler Gordon can do. Uh, I'd like to see Kyler Gordon as a kick return myself. I'd like to see what he could do. Um, but yeah, they've got, they've got some skill guys back there. McGrew is still doing his thing. He might break one. Um, I know they even tried some of the other guys like, uh, Roma Dunze and I don't know if Jalen McMillan was one of those guys too, but, uh, they certainly are, are, um, capable of having some big returns this year. Scott, give us your final thoughts going into Arizona. Final thoughts are Washington's going to have a lot more of a challenge this week, uh, stopping Arizona's offense. I think Arizona could could put up some points. I I only predicted them to score 20, but I after I submitted that, I started looking at it again and going, I probably should have given Arizona more points. But I think Washington's offense is going to tell the tale tonight. If they can score in the 30s um, in this game, if they can get up in the you know mid to upper 30s, if not close to 40 points or even a little more than that, I think they're going to win relatively easily. But Arizona's going to definitely give them much more of a challenge. Defense are from an offensive standpoint against Washington's defense, and I I think Washington's going to have to play real sound and play a much better game than they played against Oregon State. Washington wins this one, but it's going to be a dogfight at least for 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 a lot of this game. Wrap us up, Chris Fetters. Yeah, I think if you know if the if the receivers make the catches that they would have made against Oregon State, I think a lot of the things we talked about today probably we're not talking about. Um, you know, we're talking about obviously a, a bigger score line against Oregon State. We're talking about, you know, Dylan Morris really handling his business and, um, showing a lot of composure in his first time out. Again, I think the, the difference between game one and game two can be big. That's going to be for both sides though. Arizona is also coming into game two from game one and they had a heck of a challenge, um, playing USC, a game they should have won. I mean, they really should have won. So we'll see. This, if there's any scars left over from that kind of finish, going on the road again, now that the, the conditions are going to be as about as ideal for them as could be because there's, there's about a, I think I saw last time I looked, it was like five to seven percent chance of rain, which pretty much means no rain. Um, high forties, you know, for a game in, in mid-November in Seattle, it's about as good as they could get. So, um, in that sense, there shouldn't be a problem. I will be very curious. Again, to see how Washington tries to defend Grant Gannell. I really am curious if they're going to try to spy him, if they are going to try to bring extra pressure, how successful they can do that. Because we saw Grant Gannell, you know, run for a bunch of yards. I mean, he ran for 40 yards, but he, but he ran 13 times. And I, not all of those were designed runs, obviously, but he lost a lot of yardage too in those, those four sacks. 
So I'm, I'm very curious to see how they're going to scheme against him because clearly Brightwell is the guy that can help him the most, but Gannell is the guy that stirs the drink. And if they can contain him, like I said, if they can keep him to about, you know, 200 yards passing, he, he passed for over for 285 or something against USC. Um, if they can hold him to, you know, 50, 55% completion percentage, maybe force a pick or two, really get him off his, off his spot. I think that would be huge in helping Washington kind of stick to that ground game, that control game, you know, moving the chains, keeping a guy like Grant Cannell off the field. I think those things are all going to be very, very key. Just a few shout-outs, um, just a shout-out to people up at UW, uh, specifically Jeff Beck told Brian Tom, done an outstanding job of working with us during these trying times, just talking to some of the other publishers at the other schools. They uh, don't have it anywhere near as good as we do. I know it's been tough, it's been difficult, but they've done an outstanding job of not only getting us the information, but uh, setting up the Zoom calls, getting us players, getting us coaches, and pretty much getting us anything we need. They've done an outstanding job, so uh, shout out to them. They've done a great job. Also, Jaden McDaniels to Minnesota in the first round, and um, Mr. Stewart uh, heads to Detroit, so really excited for Isaiah Stewart at uh, Detroit. Justin Holiday signing a big contract. I think it was three years, $18 million. Who was that with again, Chris? I'm trying to remember. Do you remember? I don't remember. I just yeah. remember when he played for Indiana. So was it, is it Philly? I can't remember. I think it was Indiana, but uh, three year, eighteen million for um, Justin Holiday. So good for him. And uh, still waiting on the sidelines to see what happens with Isaiah Thomas. So we're not that far away from basketball season opening either. So we'll probably have more on that this week as well. Keep an eye open for those who do not subscribe to dogman.com starting Wednesday. Expect a big promotion to run starting on Wednesday for an annual subscription to dogman.com. And if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up. Big game tonight, 5 o'clock kickoff. We're looking forward to that. Nobody covers it better than the guys at dogman.com. So for all of us here, I'm Kim Reynolds with Scott Eklund, Chris Fetters. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.